Hi there, and welcome to another edition of Banking Money with the financial coach, Ron Hebert, retired portfolio manager. I'm Gord Whitehead. Ron, we talked uh, over the past couple of weeks about the uncertainty in the markets and how to be a little bit defensive and take care of your portfolio, get it in, insulated, if you will, against what, against what could be a rather uh, disturbing time in the markets. One of the things we've talked about in the past that's maybe a good idea in here is cyclical stocks. And are we heading into the right kind of cycle to be looking at some of those? First of all, explain what they are. Well, a cyclical company or company whose uh, or companies whose earnings are tied to the country that they're in, their economic cycle. So generally, when the economy is hot, their earnings are good. When the economy is in recession, these companies often sustain considerable operating losses. And many times, those operating losses can extend for long periods of time. So if your classic business cycle is, let's say, four years, these companies often can be losing money for half or more of the business cycle, and only during a very short portion of the business cycle are they profitable. And so the trick is, these are the kind of companies where you've got to apply a little bit different strategy than with what we call defensive or companies with a competitive moat. You have to trade them. You can't hang on to them. So these are the companies that because they have huge increases and decreases in earnings, which translate into big increases and large moves in the stock price, you have to be willing to trade these companies. So we're going to take a show today and we're going to start by talking about what are cyclical companies? We're going to give you examples of cyclical companies. Then on our next show, we're going to talk about an overall strategy of how to trade these companies and how to make pos- uh, profitable trips into the, in and out of the market by owning this type of stock. Okay, so you say we, we've defined what cyclical stocks are. Do we want to get into specifics about some of these companies that you've singled out here? Yeah, so let's just take a look at a few of them. Let's start with energy stocks. Well, here again, what drives energy is two things. It's the global economic cycle. When the global economy is expanding, people use more energy. But there's also a political cycle for energy stocks. And if you've taken a recent look in the Middle East, you'll find that Iran and Syria and Iraq and Saudi Arabia and Yemen and the list goes on and on of companies, Afghanistan, they're they're at each other's throats and of course a lot of them are big producers of energy and so when you have Middle East problems you have restricted supply and prices go up. So energy stocks have two cycles. They have the economic cycle and they also have the Middle East political cycle that really pushes their pricing. That's one that you'd you'd have to be some kind of a swami to figure out, I think, too. The way that the situation in the Middle East has unfolded in my lifetime, I, I don't know how you'd time that one. Well, I think you just time it so that you buy when both the commodity and these stocks are, are cheap. And then, frankly, buy and hold your nose for a while. If you buy a company with a good dividend, you can buy and hold on to it. And typically, if as the cycle begins to turn in the economy, 
often every couple of, I mean, you go back and look at the Middle East, every couple of years something seems to blow up. And so on the way up, you've got a catalyst which generally pushes prices even higher. And you certainly look at when prices were $140 a barrel uh, back in 2010 to 2012. Well, you'll also notice that there was a lot going on in the Middle East at that time. So it pushed prices far beyond where they normally would have gone. Okay, energy stocks, your first one. What's your next category? Next category is forestry. And here again, they're tied to the economic cycle because most lumber is used to build homes. And when the economy is good and interest rates are low, you'll find that lumber is in hot demand. And not only in North America, because we here in Canada, we tend to be big exporters of lumber, especially to Asia. And so when you've got the Asian markets are hot, well, lumber supplies are generally exceeded by demand, and that pushes prices up. But when the economy slows down, just the opposite happens. Okay, so if, if things kind of go a little sideways here, forest may, might, might be one to stay out of, correct? Uh, totally. Okay, what's your next category? Biotechnology. And biotechnology doesn't have as much of a catalyst in the economic cycle but it has a catalyst. The two catalysts that push biotechnology is, number one, is just the political environment that we're in. And so the United States has always had the highest prices for drugs in the world. And right now, with the political contest in the U.S. heating up, uh, certainly on the Democratic side, you've got candidates that really want to increase taxes on the drug companies. And so you do have a political side to this that's a little different. And also, the last few years, regulators have gotten a lot more uh, strenuous in their evaluation of drugs. So it's taken a lot longer than it used to to get a drug approved. So these biotechnology stocks are basically hostages of the political cycle and certainly the approval cycle. So, and that changes over time. Okay, uh, where else do we go here? Software. Well, okay, so the Microsofts of the world and companies like that? Exactly, and typically when more software comes out is often it replaces an older version of that software, but also software is, is used in uh, computers and cell phones. And when a new issue or, or a new computer comes out, or you know, we move from iPhone 9 to iPhone 10. An upgrade, as they yeah, like to call them. Yeah. yeah, exactly. You get an upgrade happens as they want to have newer, bigger, and better. So often there's new software attached with that as well. So uh, software tends to there again, have its own cycle. And you just have to be pay attention to not only the cycle, but um, what is happening with the, the hardware as well, because the software is installed on hardware. So along those lines, I, I, I suspect you might go somewhere else in technology. What about that part of it? Well, there again, as is, is, is well, is when you have uh, companies, and we're going to get into this next week, or sorry, the week after, we're going to be talking about investing in monopolies. But there's companies that really aren't that closely attached to the, the cycle like software or like computer chips. And there are, there are big tech companies like Google, uh, where their prime driver of their profits is their 
search engine. And 90% of the searches online globally are done on Google. So here's a company that has such a massive monopoly that it really doesn't matter what the cycle looks like. People are going to continue to search and of course more and more people are migrating to put their advertisements up there. So that's an area that you can see growth, I would suspect, even if the economy slows down. Okay, what do you have next? Well, mining, and here again, here's another... Uh, that's definitely cyclical, isn't it? Oh, that's it? definitely cyclical. It's very much tied to the economy. Uh, when we need more copper and we need more zinc is when the economy is going and we need more in cars and, and we need more in homes. So that is a sector that is very much tied to the economic cycle. And you want to be careful uh, as you get closer to the end of the economic cycle because that typically when the economy is booming the most and these money companies often are making money at the end of the economic cycle hand over fist and that's the time frankly where they appear to be the most profitable but that's the time you want to be taking profits. That, you know one area in that, in that regard Ron is lithium and I've read a number of articles over the last year or two we're talking about electric vehicles and cell phone batteries and all the rest of it the, the, the huge footprint that lithium mining makes which is, I guess, a bit of a downside to it, but I don't see any let up in that. They, you know, it looks like our demand for lithium is just going to keep going up. Well, I think over the next couple of years, what happened is uh, when prices were extraordinarily high, shovels went in the ground, and over the short term, we've got more lithium supply than we do demand. But if you take a look at the fact that electric cars are less than 1% or 1% of the total amount of automobiles even out there, and you know they're expecting over the next 5 to 10 years that that number is probably going to move to 6 to 8%, well, the demand for lithium, unless we find some other battery technology that's better, is going to go through the roof. So lithium stocks right now are cheap, and that's just because demand has completely... Uh, been overwhelmed by current supply, but I don't think it's going to stay that way forever. Okay, so we move from mining to what next category? Precious metals, and here again, precious metals often are a little bit counter-cyclical because when things are going bad, especially if the U.S. dollar is going down, often you get the people moving to precious metals as a safety trade and uh, a way to protect against a deteriorating buying power in the U.S. dollar. Okay, precious metals, next. Fashion retailers. And Ooh. here again, this is driven by two things. Number one, fashion is driven by the economic cycle. People pay for all these crazy fashions when they can afford it, and they'll move up to Coach and uh, many of the big fashion names when the economy's good and they can afford to spend that kind of money. But also, fashions tend to move in a, in a, in a cycle. I mean, you look at... Uh, the Kardashians and Jenners, for example, where they can wear something. And I think uh, I was looking the other day, Kim Kardashian has got, a, what, 114 million or something crazy people that follow her. And people will literally pay her to wear an outfit and have her do a selfie and that show up on, on her social media accounts. Yeah. Social media accounts. And she's getting two to $300,000 just to wear something and mention it. And of course, when they do that, they have other companies that will, it's sort of a staged event. She wears it, but they get a chance to manufacture it. And then they put up all these ads all over the, uh, 
the, the internet with pictures of her and then you can scroll underneath and you can see the clothes within hours usually are up for sale so if people see something hot that they want to buy they'll go to the they'll go to the website so you know often it's what's what's hot and what's not so you see these fashion gurus typically that come in and out of favor I mean right now Kate Spade for example which uh, a couple of years ago was was red hot was was the definition of hotness and today well not so much Okay, so where do we move next? Well, here again, fashion manufacturers, not just the retailers, but the manufacturers are people that produce this stuff. It's, they're a victim to fashion. I mean, you had Lululemon was hot, then it was not, and then it was hot again. Uh, especially fashion, not only is it driven by the economic cycle, it's certainly driven by what people want to wear. And the, the difference between uh, fashion and, for example, mining, is mining's going to be there next cycle. And I assume fashion's going to be there next cycle, but I don't necessarily assume that any particular name is going to show up at the top of the heap because things come in favor and go out of favor so quickly in the fashion world. We're pretty fickle in that regard. Okay, what's next on your list? Consumer electronics. And here oh again, yeah. uh, consumer electronics, I mean, you go back and look at the gutter uh, of, of companies that made stuff that everybody had to own. Remember the, the Palm Pilot? Palm Pilot. Remember the was it the no was it Nokia the flip phone? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was the flip phone. And I had I I remember I, everybody in our office had a flip phone. Now you look like a dork if you walk in and you have you have one of those flip. Although phones. I did read somewhere that they're thinking of bringing it back. <laughs> with a lot of the new technology involved in it, but I, I'll, I'll believe that one when I see it. But, I, you know, I can remember, too, when you talk about consumer electronics, I used to be, and I guess I still am, somewhat of an audiophile. And I always used to get the feeling when I'd buy a new piece of electronic equipment, as soon as I walked out the door, I thought it was obsolete. <laughs> yeah. it's, 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 a, it's a market that continues to evolve. You know, I was uh, going through and cleaning up some of the junk we had, and I went and looked at some of the things that I bought that were cutting edge in electronics three or four years ago and they're cutting you know they're collecting dust in a drawer now and we filled up a big box with this stuff and took it down to recycling the other day and I looked at when we bought some of this stuff and it's only three or four years old and that cycle changes so quickly that if you've got a hot item you buy it and you don't stick around because you know Apple used to be the ultimate hotness when it came to cell phones and uh, I talked to uh, a friend of the family and she was saying to me and she's sort of a good barometer of this stuff she says I'm so over uh, Apple iPhone that uh, I used to stand in line to get them now she said I'm just as fine getting a Samsung or something else so you know here again this stuff comes in and goes out and you sell it when it's hot and you and, or you buy it when it's hot, and you sell it when it's before it's not. Okay, next category. Is automobiles. And here again, I mean, you look at how quickly the in-vehicle is not the in-vehicle anymore. I mean, you get cars that sort of transcend above that, like maybe Ferrari or Lamborghini, who they're such rarefied and rare automobiles. But, you know, when you've got a world that produces tens of millions of cars every year and every three years they've got a product cycle which which changes and these are cars which are not only tied to the product cycle but they're tied to an economic cycle and right now I think in the US you've got 
the average car on the road has uh, eight years worth of financing on it. In other words, people are financed up to their eyeballs. So, you know, it's going to be harder for automobiles to, to ref people are just not refreshing them as often as, as they used to. And when you've got styles changing and you've got who knows what's next when self-driving is actually going to be a reality. You know, we're going to need 5G and we're going to need AI. But sooner or later, automobiles are, are the, the shift is going to change from cars we drive to cars that are driven by computers or someone else for us. So, you know, these are, these are cycles that you need to be aware of. And automobiles especially is one of the indicators that will tell you how well the economy is doing just simply because it is a big part of the economy and it's one of the first things that tends to slow down when you're going into a recession or you're getting an economic slowdown. Okay, we have to move along here. What do you have next, Ron? We've got manufacturing, which uh, I think is pretty self-explanatory. Uh, uh, self-explanatory. You know, the fact that, frankly, if the economy slows down, the manufacturing of all the stuff we use slows down as well. Home sales and construction. Home sales, which are typically the biggest ticket item most people will ever have on their spending list and then all the ancillary things that come with it like furniture and things like that and the construction that goes with it typically when interest rates are low and the economy is good people will tend to buy homes or buy things for their homes or have them constructed also travel and cruises and lodging those are companies or industries and and sectors as well that when the economy is good people are spending money on those kind of things when it's not so good they have staycations and so the earnings go down and I guess if, if the warning signs that we've talked about are, are, are out there flashing and the alarms are going off, this is a good time to sit down and, and take a look at these different sectors that we've talked about. Find the ones that you're maybe most comfortable in and, and try to pay attention to where the world is going at a particular moment before you take the step in investing in those companies. Exactly. And when you're late in the cycle... And one reason I took a little bit of time to talk about some of these different sectors is just simply the fact that when you're late in the cycle, you want to go through your portfolio, you want to look and see, do I have energy stocks, do I have forestry, biotechnology, software? These companies tend to be more volatile than the market as a whole. So these are companies that if you're worried about going in a recession, these are the companies that you should earmark for maybe taking some money off the table. And uh, like we said on last week's show, using some of that capital to pay down your debt or just sit with a little bit of liquidity. So if markets pull back, uh, you do have some cash to buy when things are cheap. Okay, so when we come back next week, we'll take a look at when in the cycle should we buy these stocks and when should I sell them? As you said, these are not stocks that you necessarily buy and put in a drawer and forget about. These are ones you want to pay attention to. We'll be back next week with that installment. You can find out more about Making Money, or if you have a question, you can visit the cfcw.com website. Go to Making Money at cfcw.com. If you have a question, you can go through that website. It'll get directed to us. Or visit our website, letsmakemoney.ca. And there's a section there, comments at letsmakemoney.ca. It'll come directly to Ron's inbox or mine, and we'll address it in upcoming episodes. That's another installment of Making Money with the financial coach, Ron Hebert. I'm Gord Whitehead. Thanks for joining us. The information presented is derived from sources believed to be reliable. This material is presented for information purposes only and does not constitute investment advice. Before acting on any investment information, a person should seek advice from an investment professional. 
The presenters may or may not hold positions in the securities discussed on this show and will not be responsible for any losses sustained from acting on this information.